TV Campfire Podcast. I was like, yep, okay, so you win for the week. <laughs> <laughs> We're here. I hate to sound like a broken road. Oh, no! <laughs> We're fans. It's one of the best things on television. Oh! oh! All right, we got you a hold of Oh, no, you didn't. We talk TV. That was the best scene ever. Like, All that right, blew I'll- me away. It was absolutely amazing. I just couldn't believe it. Welcome to the show. This is podcast number 553, and I'm Libya, your host, and this week we have returning guests. Hi, this is Allison, and I write reviews for Wheatonopolis. Hi, this is Houston, costume designer and TV enthusiast from Los Angeles. All right, since we don't have Tom, I don't have a full array of news. I just have the most uh, eye-catching news. So first up, I have that Arcane is uh, has won the an Emmy for Best Animated Series, and apparently mm-hmm. it makes history because it's the first streaming animated show that has won an Emmy. Well, it's well-deserved. Yeah, well, I well, agree. Well. I agree. Uh, Rutherford Falls has been canceled at season two by Peacock. Is anybody watching? I don't even know what that is. I'd heard good things about it, but I never watched it. It's apparently, um, it it has like a Native American uh, content Ah. running through it. And I'm, uh, I I was told it was good, but I just, I figured, well, I'll get around to it eventually. And I guess not. You missed your boat. Yes. You're the reason it got canceled. All right. (laughs) Um, Black, Black Mirror, as we know, has been picked up for season six, even though it was canceled at season five, which is super confusing. The shows are doing stuff like this. But Black Mirror is back, and they just cast uh, Rob Delaney in one of the, um, for one of the six episodes that they're doing. So I like the actor. I think he's cool. So, uh, also, uh, there will be no DC fandom thing that, you know, that DC fandom that they did that was virtual that everybody laughed at because it was horrible uh, last year? So this year, they've decided not to do it, and they said, now that we're doing it in person, they're just going to go back to Comic-Cons. I was like, yes, that's what everybody was saying you guys should do. So apparently they're doing that. All right, let's start talking about our, uh, the shows we watched for this week. Uh, first up, we're going to talk House of the Dragon, and this was episode two, and I don't remember the name of the episode. Nope. Anyway, so now it's the fallout. It's been... They've had time since the last episode, since Damon had been um, exiled, sort of. Except that in his exile, he, like, took over Dragonstone. I was like, what kind of exile is that? Because for those who are not in the know, um, Dragonstone is the seat of power to, for the next in line to the throne. So basically, last episode, when the king kicked his brother out and said, you are banished from here. His brother then immediately went to Dragonstone and took it over, and he took the uh, gold cloaks that he had trained. And I was like, that is the literal definition of treason. And And rebellion. And rebellion, right. And what does his brother do? Zip. Nothing. Bupkis. Uh, I had this discussion, I think I'm going to say it was Peter, um, where we were arguing about whether or not the king was weak. And he was like, no, he's a really nice guy. He's kept peace, blah, blah, blah. I was like, dude, he's weak. And if anything can show you that weakness, it's this. The fact that everybody in his small council is like, dude, you have to do something 
about Damon. You can't, if you're saying that your daughter is your heir, allowing your brother to hold Dragonstone is not the message, you know? It's not is what it is. It's terrible politicking. It's weakness through, you know, familiar or, or you know, brotherly, whatever it's, whatever it is. I mean, it's just wrong on every level. Do you know what right. I mean? It's just wrong right. on every level. It's just, it's just, it makes him look weak. And he's been daring his, and to the point where when he steals, when Damon steals that dragon egg, it's, he's trying to get his brother's attention. He's trying to egg him into a confrontation. Egg and, him, egg him onto a confrontation. Oh, good Lord. No, get I did not. No, uh-huh. that's not on purpose. No. <laughs> um, but yes, he was trying to get his brother to, to confront him. So then when Hightower shows up, he is very disappointed because it was not the person he wanted to have this fight with, but I don't think he would have had a problem sending Hightower's head on a pike back to him. Sure. Like, that was good. Not at all. And I was well, Go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just saying, like, that was the stupidest move. I was like, he has a... David has a dragon. Why are you going to show up to a fight when the other person has a dragon and you don't? A with a knife. That's right. essentially... Yes, basically. Like, what are, what are you trying to do right now? You're just trying to get all your people killed? Like, it was ridiculous. You brought a knife to a dragon fight. To a dragon? <laughs> That's even better! Because <laughs> they only had swords. That's very true. You just brought a sword to a dragon fight. Yes. So, what did you guys uh, think? I, I will say this. Um, I mean, narratively, obviously, but, uh, you know, I, I, I really liked that they didn't wait so long. I mean, I don't know, what is it, eight episodes total we're getting? Is that, yeah, is it eight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, So I don't, I really enjoyed uh, that they didn't wait so long to show her, show us uh, that the princess, was it Rhaenerys? Rhaenerys, uh, yeah. Yeah, Rhaenerys. Uh, um, you know, that she she's expressing her strength, you know, and that she she understands, well, she's, she's uh, taking her like giving herself agency right uh and that um him doing the uncle and let's 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 be honest there's a little bit of a daenerys john snow vibe going on uh i'm really uh interested but also cringing at where that's gonna go um but she understands uh that she has a relationship with him so i thought it was really fantastic that she sort of i hate this word but leaned into that and used even that so it was not just a show of force, you know, that we were seeing from him, her, and strength, but really, and not just a political thing, but even like a, a sort of a human, you know, I don't know the words I'm looking for today, but, um, you know, understanding the psychology of it and really kind of when she says, what are you going to do? Do it. Like, basically, come for me. You know what I mean? Because she knew he wouldn't. You know what I mean? And in that moment, when we saw that he knew and then we knew that he's not going to go up against his niece, dot, 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 at least yet, right? So for me, it really showed all of the kind of aspects of her, the best of her. You know, it wasn't just her showing up with a dragon. Um, and so that made me very excited. Also because, like I said, we didn't have to wait so long for that to happen. Uh, and also, uh, narratively, uh, honestly, I feel like that probably was the only thing that could happen, you know. And so I did expect it when he brought out his dragon. I was like, "Oh, she is totally coming with her, with hers," you know. So it wasn't a surprise at all. Well, um, it was for me. Oh, really? Oh my yeah. god, no! Because 
like there was this like grand pause at one moment. I, I, yeah, but I really thought that David was just about to spank them. I thought that no. was what was going to happen. I didn't I think that Hightower was necessarily going to die, but I thought he right. was going to spank them. Oh, no, you know, it's really interesting because I will say this. To me, that would have been a very Game of Thrones kind of move, but I feel like this show is obviously smaller in scope in the sense that it's eight episodes and more has to happen. So I felt like that would have been too big, too bombastic. Episode two, like we would have just got into it and it would have been, yeah, it would have been a shocker and that's more of a GOT, GOT thing for me. So, but also they made a very specific reference to her being like, why don't you send the dragon riders? You know what I mean? And then, and then they kind of slapped her down and I thought in that Yeah, but that was, that was episode one. So, yes, uh, but I'm saying it was it was linked. Like it doesn't. No, have no, I'm to not be saying. A- but I, anyway, my whole point was I was surprised. That's all. Yes. So, and my whole point is that I was not even remotely. But like I said, it didn't just give her riding in on her white horse or gray dragon. Uh, you know, I really felt like they made the most of that scene in terms of developing her character, moving the plot forward, or you know, because like I said, I didn't want to wait two, three, four more episodes to have her find herself. That's boring. The other thing that I want to say, though, is um, I, because this speaks to his weakness, the king's weakness, right? The fact that he absolutely, positively is indulging his own sort of uh, grief and sadness by, like, taking on as his wife the best friend of his daughter when he knows and everybody knows that he really needs to have a political marriage at this point and that it is absolutely going to have repercussions going forward. And that, to me, is... As a leader, sometimes you just need to truly suck it up. You know what I mean? You just absolutely have to do what's best for your country, the reign, for peace and whatever. And the fact that, and I get it, he's grieving strongly and, you know, they've related on some level. But I, that to me was the last part where I was like, dude, I was like, you are a terrible ruler. So I well, agree. I think, I think that, you know, the, the, the actual name of this episode was the Rogue Prince, but I think it could have just as easily been called Why Viserys is Not Fit to Rule. Um, <laughs> because really, in, in every way throughout the episode, they're giving you all these different examples of why he is just an incredibly weak king. I mean, no wonder the throne is trying to kill him. It's like, he's just, he's terrible. He's got not going after his brother, who is openly defying him in front of, of everyone Everybody, in the kingdom. Right. Then he's got the, the situation where he's he could set up a political marriage. Um, and it's, of course, it grosses out everyone in the audience that she's 12 years old. Um, but they have pointed out that he doesn't actually have to consummate the ma- marriage for at least another two years. And frankly, he wouldn't have he wouldn't have to consummate it at all if he was smart. He would just wait it out until his daughter took the throne as he planned to have done. Right. And and just that way there wouldn't be a, a possibility of there being a, a son that could take her place. Instead, you know, his his word would be law and she would succeed him. But that's not going to happen now. And in, instead, he's an, idiot. Yeah. he's an idiot who angers the, the most important, wealthiest family in in the kingdom. The ones who, who literally rule the waves. They have all the ships and uh, he's he's pissed them off just to marry his daughter's best friend. And it's it's. It's it's the worst possible situation that he could put himself in, and he is he's just you know you can say all that oh well he's a nice guy all you want, but 
in Westeros that gets you nothing. <laughs> it does nowhere. not make you a good ruler. No. You no. If they're absolutely ruthless. Yeah. He, he needs to be ruthless too. Um, and, and that's, and that's not going to happen. And his daughter has every, has all this tradition, all this patriarchy arrayed against her. So, you know, he's, he's setting her up to fail. Um, when the conversation he's setting her up that, to be killed, honestly. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, Renice says it very clearly, the men of this, of this kingdom would rather burn it down than see a woman on the iron throne. And she's not wrong. Right. Yeah. Um, it's not just out of bit personal bitterness that she's saying this. So I, I think, I mean, there's, I, I, I would like to see, you know, overall, I, I was okay with the episode. I liked the bit with the dragon. I think they need to get away from, I know they're overloading it with exposition because they kind of have to, to set things up, but it, yeah, it got, it got a little talky for a while. Um, and I think they need to move on to, to more, uh, more show and less tell. I think they're doing that, but we need to move on. So I'm still saying a thumbs up, though. Yes? Sure. Overall, yes. All right. But I don't think it was as weak as the first. I I don't think it was as good as the first episode. I think it showed the king in a clearer light, I think, in this episode, though. It it definitely defined uh, a Viserys. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Next up, we're going to talk the Orville, which we haven't talked about in forever. And I think you guys just want to do like an overall of this season, what you liked, what you didn't like, highlights. Um, go ahead. Allison, you want to start? Or do you want me sure. to remind you? Oh, no. I think I think what we really wanted to talk about were the last two episodes, which you really have to kind of take as a piece, because the, the, the last one, I think, kind of works like an epilogue to the, the big main show that happens in, in the penultimate episode. Um and uh, th- so I'm, I'm trying to remember <laughs> what the names of the episodes were. Uh, um, I know, I, because I was the, so happy. Right, about Domino it. was, was the, no, the second to last. Want? Which one did you want? Um, did you, well, I'll, I'll talk about Domino if you, okay. I mean, we can talk about both of them, but um, no, I'll, no, no. I'll just start off. The, this, was the, okay. this was the episode that they basically blew the entire budget on. If you wanted to see, you know, what, what Hulu gave them to work with, they they spent it all on this one, and it looked fantastic. Uh, this is where everything that they've built up to throughout the whole season, with the Kalons being the big threat, uh, and and trying to forge alliances with two other planets that are are basically backward and hostile. Um, they they they're uh, both the Mocklins and the the Krill, I think they were, um, have have these super religious really really kind of self-destructive systems uh where and and they they make it they make it impossible to actually stay within the union because everything that they stand for is so completely opposed to what the union is about they're not about inclusivity at all and finally this is in this episode the 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 whole thing falls apart the, the they're alliances go their own way and form their own uh union which um if they get a season four i'm sure will come back to haunt them so they basically find themselves on their own against the kalon uh the 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 forces of the union and that would seem terrible except that uh both um charlie the new character and isaac 
are able to come up with a super weapon. And the, what it does is it, it interferes with the communication, the like uh, psychic or whatever communication that the Kalon have between each other, the, their network. And without that, they completely fall to pieces and they can't do anything and their ships explode and it's the, the, the Union is able to, to succeed and, and they're able to, to have a huge victory against the Kalon forces. And this allows them to forge a ta- at least a temporary peace. Uh, with I was going to say uh, less recappy and more, you know, opinion-y. Right. Um, but this, I just wanted to get to the point where our, um, from this point, you know, they think everything's going to be okay, except that there's there's uh, others who are who are trying to build, who are trying to steal the super weapon and get rid of the Kalon completely. And this the the fight that we see ensue, um, where the the Union is trying to to overcome uh, this group so so that the Kalon are not wiped out, is pretty fantastic and harks back a lot to. The, it reminded me a great deal of the the Battle of the Death Star in Star Wars. They very obviously do do a tribute to that in in their in their setup, and I thought it was it was fantastically done. It's very actiony. I think it went on for like twenty minutes. This incredible yeah. battle scene. Um, it was just amazingly shot, and it, the whole thing concludes finally um, with them destroying this super weapon, but at a cost. Because Charlie is the one who has to stay behind and make sure that this the there is no failsafe that that prevents the weapon from being destroyed. Everybody else clears out, and the Kalon leader, who was part of this group, is so impressed and confused, frankly, that Charlie, who hated the Kalon more than anyone else, was willing to sacrifice her life to save their species, um, is what kind of breaks everything, and and it. it creates a, a more lasting peace, really, between the Kalon and, and the biologicals, as they refer to everyone else. And, and I thought that it was just, it was extremely well done. Her death, I thought, considering that I've never liked her character, I thought her death was handled in a very touching way. Um, and just overall, it was, uh, it was an extremely uh, well done episode. You know, uh, I, I will jump in real quick because uh, you did a fantastic job of, of talking about that one particular episode. And, you know, I, I you know, obviously I think we're going to want to finish with the finale. But I want to speak to the people who uh, either bailed on the show or have just been dissing it this whole time, because, I mean, I, I think we want as fans, you and I, but other people to try to, you know, convince people or encourage them to watch the show. And I know that it's a lot of people, especially in the beginning, you know, referred to it as sort of the dollar store version of Star Trek and, you know, and it was, you know, well, and they it did start out that way to be fair. I mean, it started as a parody of Star Trek and the themes are clearly all still there, but right. I, I think that they've morphed into their own thing. Really. Yeah, that's my point. Do you know what I mean? Like, I want people who bailed on the first season to, to really convince them or let them know that it has completely changed its direction. I mean, even the fact that the episodes are a good 15 to 20 minutes longer, so it has, like, a different, more, like, mini-movie feel. But I do really want to speak about the last few. Don't worry. Uh, I'm not going to even uh, summarize them, really. Uh, uh, 
Libya. So, but I want to mention them because first of all, I did a full review. I spent a lot of time on it because I want to give people notes, ideas about what what they're dealing with now, the issues, you know. And I'll start with uh, like four or five episodes ago because I'm doing this on purpose because I thought the last four or five did a beautiful run. I thought every episode was strong in its own way, and I thought they are absolutely ramping up to like a good finale or great. So the first episode, like I don't know, it was like the fourth or fifth from the last. It was called From Unknown Graves, and it dealt with, um, nope, sorry, that's the wrong one, twice in a lifetime. It dealt with one of the... Um, Oh, that was a brilliant episode, yeah. So good, right, Allison? That's why I really wanted to mention it to people. Because it dealt with, you know, it's still very sci-fi-y, very, you know, with the time continuum and time travel and this and that. But it dealt with, the heart of it was that one of the crew members was left behind. And then because of timey-wimey stuff, he had experienced 10 years of time in his life on Earth, uh, whereas it was a flash for the crew. And so when they went to go rescue him, he did not want to go, you know? And it's definitely, and they spent a lot of time, uh, you know, building up to his relationship and life on Earth. You know, we've gotten as far back as Battlestar Galactica. You know, what's it like if like, you know, people went back to the 1980s Earth, you know? So we've seen that trope uh, a million times for 40 years, but I thought they did a beautiful job, real, really emphasizing how difficult it would be and he made a big stink about not leaving at the risk of breaking the time continuum of causing all sorts so they did a really great job of like the humanness of it and the difficulty of serving as a crew and blah 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 so i'll move on in fact Uh, well i I want to just say one thing i think what was so interesting about that particular episode the approach they took to it was that unlike most of these time travel episodes where the thing that's at stake is some big event, you know, like, oh, prevent Lincoln from being assassinated or, you know, stop the moon launch or, you know, whatever it is that's, you know, some, some, or let's stop World War Three. You know, it's it's always some, some big event, some, something like that. And instead, this was very personal. It yeah. was just, it was just about Gordon and his relationship, his family that he's built in these yep. intervening years and the thought that he's going to lose all of that, that his his child is actually going to cease to exist. Yeah. Um, and and it just brought it down to that, that little thing. So it didn't really matter what period of time he was necessarily in. It was just focused on that personal thing. And I thought that was brilliant. I really did too. Like I said, because the trope exists, but I thought they did a beautiful job. If you have abandoned the show, I feel like you should give it another shot. And even if in the beginning of season three, you're kind of like, I don't know what they're talking about. It hasn't got much better. I feel like it picks up speed from the beginning all the way to the end. if you find it at all watchable in the beginning of first uh, the first part of season three, keep going because it really catches its stride and finishes beautifully. Okay. All right, uh, next up, we'd like to talk about what we do in the shadows. And this week's episode was Guillermo gets a boyfriend and Nandor can't stand it and literally clones his boyfriend in a really <laughs> creepy, not so cool creepy. sort of way. What'd you say? What'd you say, Yusin? I just said, no, you're so right. It's so creepy. Yeah, it's like, because I was like, wait, is he jealous? Like, I was trying to figure out what Nandor's motivation is, but I think what it really comes down to is Nandor is used to Guillermo focusing on him so 100% that the fact that he's not focused on him, he has to respond to that in some way. And, of course, he picks the worst way possible. And... uh 
I did not like Nandor. I was just like, what a jerk, man. Like, and, and, and Guillermo very much was like, can I not have something that's mine? And the answer to that apparently is no. So uh, it was just, yeah, I mean, I it was heartbreaking. So it wasn't a funny episode in the least. Uh, and then you, you well, you have now um, Colin Robinson is no longer baby Colin Robinson. Now he's teenage That's Colin funny. Robinson, apparently. <laughs> that was great. That's funny. That whole thread was funny. Uh, and I, uh, was, I was talking to Peter, and he was like, he felt bad for uh, Nadia. And I was like, why? I was like, she created her own problem. The fact that she wasn't willing to, rene- to negotiate any kind of deal with baby uh, Colin, because she's like, you work for me. You don't get a say. You don't get money. Just because I'm doing really well doesn't mean... And this is like the second uh, labor dispute she's had at her club, and she's lost every time. I was like, why? And, and I was like, I have no sympathy. Um, right. He's like, don't you feel bad for her? I was like, no. She created that problem herself. So, yeah. Well, I think what what I thought was... And then this is why I find the show hilarious, is because the characters, they're basically, you know, have, have arrested development from whatever time they were turned... Um, and and they they act like big infants. They really do. They they never seem to learn from the things that happen. Um, they just keep going on the same way. And and that's really kind of I think is a commentary. It's like if people really could live forever like that, if vampires actually existed, what would they be like? Well, they'd be really immature, selfish, horrible people. And and that's kind of what what they're showing here, in in all the in in all the three individual stories. Um, Nandor. Well, I would actually I, I have mean, to say Laszlo is the only one who he's he's the only one who's taking any responsibility. Like he's taking care of Colin Robinson, and I feel like he's taking care of him out of a genuine sense of kind of concern. Well, I think there's pro- a sense of responsibility, but right. there's also a sen- there's also the the, the no. kind of stage mothery sense that he's profiting off of this yeah, too. Off of it. it's a he is, it, he is, but even before there was anything to profit off of, he took care of him. So it would be well, different I, if he only did it when you know he's I, making money. I don't know if you if you watch. Did you watch every episode? Yes, I up did. To, yes, I did. Up? Okay. So I think that the one that look, look here's the thing for me, and I, I'm bouncing off of what Allison said. They are just id. They are just id. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like yes. You know, each other, they are just pure id, and it's so fun to watch. But that would be boring, right? So definitely Laszlo, which I think was the the biggest id, you know what I mean? Just sexual and this and that and violence and whatever he wanted to say or do. He just, you know what I mean? And Peter made mention of that a few podcasts ago about that, you know? Um, but I certainly think over the period of the last three or four uh, years, uh, seasons, right? He, I think actually, honestly, has had the most growth and it's kind of sort of the most fun. Because he's the one that was the farthest away from that. And we're seeing how much, like you said, uh, Olivia, that, you know, he's, he's doing things that are selfless. You know, not completely, because it's Laszlo, and that wouldn't be fun, you know. Um, but and, and they've all had growth, don't get me wrong, you know what I mean? But I think it's the most fun, and I think it is the most far, farthest distance traveled uh, to, to see Laszlo doing it. But the other thing I wanted to, you know, jump in and say is the Nandor thing. I think it's less about Nandor uh, missing Guillermo, but that because they stress how unhappy he is with his own relationship. Correct, yes. So yeah. I think he's jealous of the kind of love and sort of commitment and devotion and fun, you know, that he's missing in his own relationship. And because he's so id, 
right? And because he doesn't know how else to fix the problem, he's like, oh, I'm just gonna get one of those because that is gonna give me what I'm missing. And so again, uh, it's just emphasizing that he's id, he's completely oblivious, but yet we know he does care about Guillermo, right? He just is a terrible problem solver. We spent the entire season, right, him uh, placating his id with the gin, right? And literally, I don't think made a single correct decision with the wish, which I thought was hilarious because I thought the arc would be he finally learns, you know what I mean? And he gives up, you know, a one or two of his final wishes or his extra wishes, and then he learns, but he just doesn't learn, you know? Nope. And, you know, so that's also kind of funny in its own way, but this episode was truly poignant for me. Poor Guillermo, who was so put upon, and like he said, doesn't get anything for himself and really just is a doormat for everybody. And I was so happy for him, right? Uh, and then when he saw the two of them, the cl clones, dating each other at the very end, uh, which was gross, um, but, <laughs> but kind of expected, right? Because people always talk about that in psychology even, sort of like, you know, narcissists, right? Loving right. themselves, whatever. So, uh, so it was funny and gross, um, but also heartfelt. So I love that balance this show creates. It is not just all crazy. It is not just all silly. There's absolutely heart to it, you know, and I feel like this season even more because we are so invested in the characters and invested in their journeys. It hits even it hits even more strongly for me. So, uh, you know, I can't I can't say outright it's the best season, but I think it's an excellent season in general. All right, let's move on. I think we're saying thumbs up. Uh, yeah, sure. Next up, we're going to talk about Resident Alien and we're just going to talk about the, the last episode of Resident Alien, which was a game changer. This sure. episode starts oh, yeah. off with like, this is 60 years in the future. I was like, wait, what? And then I was like, well, I don't understand how this is going to work. And then I, I, I guess I'm dumb because I didn't realize we were going to timey-wimey it until we started. To, until it was like, I think when we saw the portal, I was like, wait a minute. Okay. And then that's when I started figuring that out. But, um, I, and then in the present day, we have, um, and I mean, it makes absolute sense because it's like the entire episode, oh God, I just blanked on his name. What is Alan Tudyk's character's name? Harry? Harry. The entire episode, Harry is, keeps comparing himself to Goliath. And he's like, I can't become like Goliath. I have to be, I can't be this, can't be like him, can't be like that. And then at the end of the episode, he finds out he is Goliath. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. Like, that is great. That was a really circular episode. So, thoughts? Concerns? I, I was not expecting what they did with this episode. I mean, not just from a storytelling perspective, which was, I mean, so much more sophisticated than what we've been doing so far. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was, it, Everything so far has been just, you know, fun. It's just, okay, you know, a crazy alien lands here and learns to be, you know, more human in feeling and, and hilarity ensues. And so it, there really wasn't a whole lot in the way of big stakes here. And then all of a sudden they have this opener where, you know, they show Alan Tudyk as an old man um, saying that he's, you know, he's he's still in this form because now he considers this, to be his form and, and Earth to be his planet and even though Asta's been gone for years and we see this this wasteland around him um, and I'm like I'm like well how are we supposed to go back and treat everything yeah, like exactly. this? <laughs> where is this going like right. this. 
because there's yeah. even any indication that there's anything tiny wimey going on here. Um, so I, I just, you know, I kind of held out through the episode going, okay, we got to find some reason for there to be time travel because otherwise this is depressing as hell. Um, so I was, but what I was not expecting was for them to actually loop around and, and reveal that this Goliath, who we've been hearing about all this time, is actually Harry. Yeah. Um, and and that just it just changes everything, not just from a storytelling perspective, but from an and emotional. Also, that also means that that kid is his kid. Is his kid? Yes. That's that's his kid. I know. I thought that I had that realization. Yeah. 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 Harry's a dad. Well, <laughs> you, you know, he, 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 here's what I will say to that. Uh, they did a really great job because if it were not as good a show. Uh, or, or I don't exactly know what I'm even saying in that, like, the sentence that I, I'm about to say. But the, but the end result of what I'm trying to say is if the show didn't – the show could have not done a good job of giving us this big reveal. It could have been like, like, wait, what? Like, it could have been such a tonal shift and sort of like a, you know, this doesn't even make sense or like – you know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes you watch a show and you're like, where did this come from? But I feel like in its own way, it did give us breadcrumbs, right? Yeah. And – one of the strongest things it did, you know, besides the the kind of factual breadcrumbs is, and it was all condensed towards the end, the last two episodes, and that's okay though, as he's just completely fallen apart, you know what I mean? And the and the, the catalyst is the PTSD from his confronting his own mortality, do you know what I mean? So I thought that was brilliant because what a great way, right, to show us uh, a very quick condensed reason as to why his emotions have all kind of spilled out how he becomes so much more in tune with his humanity uh because he's experiencing something that is so unbelievably human which is the shortness of life the finality of it you know the kind you know what i mean so as an alien he can die right but the concept is so different for him because clearly i think we know that the aliens live for a much longer time uh and also probably it's maybe harder to kill them i don't know especially on earth uh, you know what i mean because he made mention right because they're self-healing he made mention that if he's not in his alien form then yes he would die as a human so clearly we you know we can take that as you know if he were alien that wouldn't have killed him so even that i thought was a perfect way to cite sort of rush us uh in a good way though because it I, I felt like it was valid i felt like okay that makes sense it was also fun it apps because the show is fun funny uh to watch him devolve sort of if you will or evolve uh into his humanity to find it and all the emotions and stuff and so that was a real real fun thing and again i said this about i think orville the best shows right uh especially sci-fi Give us what we want as sci-fi fans. You know, the timey-wimey stuff and the scientific stuff and the alien stuff, whatever. But at the end of the day, and I've said this very strongly about this show, um, you know, uh, but as with mo most sci-fi shows, the best and movies, is that it's really about humanity and our struggle. And now at this point, it's the alien. It becomes his struggle. You know, uh, you know, as like I said, and they use that PTSD where he's, you know, confronting his mortality. So I give them such kudos for basically doing a 180, 360 reveal that somehow still seemed super natural, you know, super organic. Uh, and in a way, though, even though the entire show, as Allison said, seasons, you know, we really didn't think we were going to get this sci-fi-y. They dump it on us at the end of, what, three seasons? Uh, and it's technically season two, but continue. Oh, sorry, right, season two. It seems completely reasonable, you know, and fun. 
because now yeah. it's like, oh, now this is going now. I mean, and, and not that I was waiting for it. I was willing to watch the show for what I thought it was. You know what I mean? Like a, you know, lighthearted, farcical kind of blah, blah, blah. But but now at Shifting Gears, uh, it's it's a whole different animal. But like, I'm so here for it. So right, I thought right. they did a real job. All right. Uh, I think we're saying thumbs up. Sure. Uh, we got to keep going. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about She-Hulk. And this episode was basically the conclusion of, of her basically defending Abomination and trying to get him released on uh, probation. And I liked her solution. I thought it was elegant. And I also liked the break the fourth wall. She's like, I know you guys are just waiting for Wong to show up. And it's not like every episode is going to be just random guy showing up and bubble. She was like, She's like, oh, wait, except we already did that. And she starts listing them. She's like, but that's not what the show's about. Like, that was actually pretty funny. I like yep. the humor that the show's really doing. And overall, I thought this episode was really, it showed her, like, lawyer prowess, I guess is the word. Um, but the only hesitation I have, I can't decide if the end with Megan Thee Stallion was good or horrible. I, I'm like, my brain is divided. Because when I watched it, my jaw dropped. And I was like, is that, wait, was that like, because I, I don't know. So anyway, I'll let somebody else decide, decide what they think of that bit. But overall, I did like the, the, the idiot entitled guy who really believed that for some reason Megan Thee Stallion would date him and need him to buy her a Volkswagen Passat. Like, seriously? Like, what? <laughs> All right, yeah. go ahead. Talk. We, we got, but we got to keep going. So go fast. Um, okay, I'll jump in. I will say that um, as much as I like the show, I think the stuff that I like the most is the most irreverent. Do you know what I mean? It feels not that much like a Marvel show, which is a good thing for me. Do you know what I mean? The breaking the wall, the the silliness of it. Uh, I I I'm a. I really liked the first episode, uh, and it was sort of like, okay, what are they doing with the show? How are they going? What direction? And getting used to whatever. So I, I'll be quick about this. I liked the episode, uh, you know, plenty, you know? Um, and so I also was very conflicted, not very, uh, you know, just taken aback by the huge cameo. But she's already kind of with the breaking of the fourth wall and being like, did you think it was gonna be kind of like this? Oh wait, it kind of is like this. I feel like the show has absolutely kind of, again, leaned into the sort of irreverent nuttiness, you know, uh, of the show. It's a half hour comedy. It's not even, it's 20 minutes. Um, so the beats are completely different from a Marvel show. Uh, you know, it, like I said, it's a 20 minute uh, whatever. So I felt like, yeah, it's a free for all. Like, you know what I mean? It's just a funny, silly, you know, and then it was an after credits thing when she showed up in court. Right. I thought, uh, oh, oh, that's a cute little quick cameo. And then they give us a whole scene afterwards. And yes, exactly. I was a little like, eh, but then I just kind of gave into it. And I thought this show is just silly anyway. You know what I mean? And so I thought it was just a fun cameo, which clearly it was supposed to be. Allison? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I liked the cameo when she was in court. I thought that was hilarious. Um, yeah. I thought the, the bit at the end was pushing it. Yeah, I mean, I know that's, that's, that's kind of how I felt too. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's like belaboring a joke. It's like explaining a joke. Okay, yep. you know, it's not funny if you have to do that. Um, I realize that they they like to do those little end credit things, so you can divorce it from the rest of the show if you if you want to, because that's all it is. But I think they could have come up with something better than that. 
um, other than, you know, we got Megan the Stallion to do this. Yay. Um, which is, which is kind of what it, what it just was. But the rest of the show I loved, I, I think leaning into the humor is the best thing about this particular series. I never would have looked at, uh, Emil Blonsky as, as a funny, fun character before, but Tim Roth is just is just really eating it up in in this role. I, I oh, love him with all his sister character. wives. Oh my god! Oh my god! That was that was his fan club. Is was just the best. Um, so all of that is hilarious, and I think they they did a great <laughs> job with it. Allison, talk right? about the elf because that was fantastic. Oh, the, whole, the, the shapeshifter. Well, the yeah, shape-shifter. yeah. Because she was, she was hilarious. She was hilarious. And well, especially when she imitated the dr- to... when she she imitated the judge. Because I was yeah. like, that was so awesome. Because she's like, we're gonna do the court thing, and then five seconds later, she's like, uh, you know what? I changed my mind. I don't think this should really go forward. And everybody was like, what? And then they looked over, and you see she's not there. And I was like, oh come on. <laughs> Like, <laughs> right. she, she, like, you know, she shapeshifted into almost everybody, including the lawyer, the defense yeah. lawyer. Yeah, it, it no, was great. It was great. Yeah, All no, right. I, th- I think she's just sort of an agent of chaos, which is great. And yeah. and the actress who who was doing it, I thought, was just terrific. Well, yeah. we we need to move on. Uh, so overall, thumbs up. Not sure how we feel about the post credit sequence, but yeah. the rest that of was it. The, was, but yeah. yeah, the rest of it is great. I think it's just a fun little series. Yep. All right, next up, we're going to talk C, and this was episode two, and my issue with episode two is the same that I have with episode one, which is the Queen's sister's plot armor that refuses, so she basically can't k- get killed if a meteor lands on her head. So <laughs> I just, I'm so over it. I hate her with the power of a thousand suns. I've hated her since season one. So I've wanted her to die all these seasons, and the fact that they refuse to kill her irritates me to the point where I'm having a hard time enjoying the show. So, um, so like when a new episode shows up, so instead of me going "Yay, new episode to see," I'm like, ah, "Stupid sister's still gonna be alive." <laughs> so that's pretty much my reaction to this. I mean, Baba Voss got to do cool stuff. Though now I'm also irritated that he comes with information vital to save their lives. He's like, hey, bad guys are coming over the hill. They've got this cool, they've got this big weapon I can't describe, but it's really powerful. And they're like, uh, it's Baba Boss crazy. I was like, when have we known Baba Boss to be crazy and give false information? That would be never. So the fact that all of a sudden nobody is willing to listen to him is insane. So... That is also my criticism for this episode. Allison, your rebuttal, please. <laughs> Not a rebuttal, but I mean, I, because uh, I don't like Queen Kane either. I, I never have. And she, she's irritating. And like you said, it's, it's, it's preposterous that she's still alive. I wish that they had come up with a, another villain to take the, the place of what she's doing. I think they could have. But, you know, it, it is what it is. And I just kind of live with it because I like the rest of the show and I like the rest of the characters so much. And uh, so I kind of I kind of tolerate her her bits. Um, I I I like this episode overall. Um, I like where they're taking uh, the main part of the story. Even though, like you, I I think it's silly that they keep naysaying Baba Voss because 
he has been right about pretty much everything, everything. that he's said before. <laughs> I'm like, um, what is going he, on? He's led them into battle and everything else. I mean, I, I could he get... He literally so was their general that led them to victory in the last battle they had. Exactly. I could see where people would be a little pissed off that he just, you know, marched off into the wilderness afterward, you know, and did his own little walkabout thing. But even so, if he's come back and said, you know, well, it was worth it to me to come back here to um, warn you. And, and to warn you about this, I'd pay attention to that. So, uh, you know, I, I think I think they just got a little bit too caught up in the idea of making peace easily when they didn't have the influence of, of Cain around to screw things up and and it just doesn't work like that i do think that the um the ambassador does not know about this super yeah i don't think she knows i agree Uh, yeah i think that she's she's negotiating in good faith and i think she's going to be just as surprised as everyone else right Um, I, i believe that too but the fact that that they just blow him off is ridiculous I yeah, mean, it's, it's it just to the point where it, it's breaking the story for me. And I get well, it's, it's a plot contrivance. Well, that's they, my problem yeah. with the show is they are too easy. They take the easiest route, you know. So they're like, okay, we don't want to kill the queen, so let's just not. No explanation, no story reason. Just we're just not going to do it. And then they're like, well, we need them. We need to have a divide between the queen. And so let's just like have everybody think that he's a hysterical woman now. And I was like, what? What is happening? So, yeah, no, not a, uh, this is not a thumbs up for me. Well, I, I, I still enjoyed it. I still found it entertaining. And this is the last season. You know, we're just we're, we're they, they are Which pretty is... much arranging the pieces right. on the chess board. So I'm willing to to just kind of kind of give it a give it a slide here and there where it it doesn't quite match up to what it should be because we are in in the the end game at this but point. But that's my point. You gotta you gotta land the ship, as they say, and just maneuvering the ship to where you want and then putting it on the board is not landing the ship. That's all. I'm just a little frustrated. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Next up, we're going to talk Sandman episodes seven and eight. And these are the episodes that they they basically have restarted the story. So the first six episodes was all about uh, Morpheus collecting all his items and defeating the guy that had his gem. And we did all that. And so now 7 and 8 is introducing the character of Rose Walker, who is a nexus. And her thing is she bends dreams and nightmares to her will or influence and she can remove the walls between the dreaming and reality. And they spend the first two episodes like just showing us what she can do without her being like super conscious of it and without um, a lot of exposition, which I like. They did the whole show, not tell sort of thing. And they introduced Rose in a way that made her super likable. I really like her and I like the connection that she has to uh, the woman that we found out in the first few episodes that when Morpheus was you know captive you had this woman that basically as a little girl fell asleep and didn't wake up and so finding out all that connection how all of that goes together uh, is pretty cool and I like that Morpheus is very concerned about the idea of a nexus 
So I saw it like weeks ago, and I don't remember it well enough to talk about it. Oh. <laughs> Honest to God. Okay. They are all blending together into one big episode, and I really can't remember. Well, how about uh, this? The, the big cliffhanger of, of eight or seven, actually, is that she goes to sleep and she wakes up in the dreaming in Morpheus' uh, throne room. And she's like, who are you? And he's like, holy crap. <laughs> so that was really? a really good, that was a really good cliffhanger. You know, um, I I watched it very early. I also watched it, I think, two or three weeks ago. Um, but I I did try to review, so I will, forgive me if I'm smushing the two episodes together, um, but I will say in general, I very much like these two episodes. And I didn't understand about the brother, like where was he in the dreaming and why he called himself the Sandman, you know, blah, blah, blah. But in the dreaming, in the dreaming, in while he was dreaming... She wasn't, he, yeah, she, she wasn't a nightmare, she was a dream. No, no, so she was nightmare. And she not only, clearly, when she was captured or brought back, right, and she was talking more in generalities about how she didn't want to be nightmare anymore and she wanted to bring peace and happiness and yada yada, and he explained to her why she needs to exist and why she exists, uh, but then she makes the argument when she's like, well, I don't want that, you know, and so so what we see is why and how and very specific uh, to that boy, you know, that he was abused and he was this and she wanted to give him relief, you know, and she right. wanted to... You know, so that to me was very beautiful is what I'm trying to say. I thought I didn't understand what was going on at first. And I thought she when I first started watching it, I thought she was menacing. You know what I mean? And I was like, oh, this is some sort of level of torture. And I felt really bad for the kid. I was like, oh, my God, his life is miserable outside. Right. So it's manifested in these nightmarish scenarios. Right. But then as I was watching it, I was like, no, "Mm, he was he was a superhero. Right. Yeah. He seems to be the hero, you know. So again, uh, again, that's my point. Like the show made me feel a certain way. I felt badly for him and then realized, oh, Nightmare has actually rescued him and given him sanctuary and his dreams are actually an escape and he's a hero. That was what was poignant to me. I thought that was really beautiful. And going on that beautiful theme, right, I will say that in the following episode where uh, her friend, Rose's friend or neighbor, right, um, gets to live out this complete world, right, in her dream world with her dead husband, right, um, I thought that was really beautiful and poignant. And I didn't understand. I thought, wow, she's showing some serious restraint. She kept saying, like, I got to go. It's just a dream. I got to go. And the dreams got longer and better and more involved. And I thought, she's doing i would totally be like bye see you world i'm totally checking out and i will live in this dream world with you so i'm very interested to see i mean i feel like they've actually closed that off because she's come back into the real world and now she's pregnant you know so that's a big drop i mean big drop off reveal whatever um and so I loved that whole thing because I think all of us in one way or another, either very personally or whatever, have experienced death in, in, in our lives. And I, so I thought it was very poignant, the push and pull of being somewhere, not being there, and that sort of the gift that she gets to bring back with her to the waking world from a dream world is actually an actual baby. So I'm very interested to see how that proceeds and also how they explain it because they better a little bit you know what I mean so yeah I thought both episodes were really great uh in the sense that uh you know it it was very emotional and they were talking about you know uh sort of personal things but you could relate to it on on a larger level so yeah I really like these last two episodes nice anything else Allison before we move on nope 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about Lord of the Rings and Rings of Power, the first two episodes. And uh, just FYI for those out there, the three of us actually got to see it in a movie theater on a huge, huge, almost IMAX screen. Okay. And uh, so our experience was a little different than everybody else's. We saw it with a full packed theater. And that does change how you experience it 100% because there were Very parts much so. there were parts of it where the crowd would gasp together laugh together it was part where everyone started cheering uh, that doesn't usually happen in your living room <laughs> <laughs> if it does and you're alone it's a little sad so just saying. Um, but it was because uh, I, I will say that the first hour I mean everybody's going to agree the show looks gorgeous it you can see the money on the screen. It's a really, really good looking show. That is not in question whatsoever. Um, and I like, overall, I like the cast. I like who they cast for everything. I don't have any complaints about anybody. Especially, Pete, especially Galadriel. I uh, mean, yeah, I just... like her. Yeah, definitely. But I was going to say the first hour, though, the biggest weakness of the first hour, which I don't know what you can do to get around this, which is exposition. There was a lot yeah. of exposition, a lot of introducing characters and regions and the layout. And, uh, and it's over. It was too long. It was too long. Yeah. It really was. There, there was, was a lot long. of that. But, I mean, they're trying to get you to feel like you're watching the original Lord of the Rings, which I get. Uh, and I'm not sure what you could have done to trim that up and to make that more concise. Um because you have to deal with two sets of audiences. You have to deal with the audience that you know is super familiar with the material, but you also have to assume that people are coming in who've never seen The Lord of the Rings, don't know anything about it. Good point. So you have to serve both audiences. Uh, and so because of that, the first hour is a little slower than I would have liked. However, I'm glad they showed us two because the second episode definitely picks up in a way that made it feel good. Once we got to the dwarves, it became funny. So you had a lot of humor. And sure. you had you really started to feel the relationships in the, by, by the time you got to the second episode. So I would say is if, if you feel like the first episode is a little too slow for you, definitely watch the second one because it does pick up speed, a lot less exposition, and a lot more character development. And that's my broad strokes of that. Uh, Except for the the, the uh, ocean swim, which literally lasted longer than, you know, it needed, you know, absolutely. I just thought, really? Just get her out of the water. Like, something has well, to happen. Well, the thing you know? that was so weird about that is when they get attacked by this kraken-type creature, um, she gets she gets under the water, she's got her blade, and she sees, yeah. like, uh, something sticking out of one of its spines. And I was like, oh, yeah. she's going to swim over and attack it and do yeah. a thing. And no, she didn't do that Nothing. at all. She just swims away. I was like, what? I would assume if it could take that much damage, her little blade isn't going to really do much. Yeah, well, I didn't think she was necessarily doing something with her blade, but I thought she saw a weak point. I thought she yeah. had figured something out. Yeah. And that was not the case. So. And it would have been a great way to break up a very long section that was essentially boring. You know what I mean? And so... I and I agree with you. I do, right? But it still would have been fun to see her try. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and she did, I thought she did, they did a great job of introducing her prowess and her physicality and her yeah, whatever. Yeah, she killed an ice troll like in five moves. And, yeah. and that was fun. 
quick. Yeah. And you know what I mean? So I would have been very open, willing, and I would have believed, right? Uh, you know, yeah, stretching a little bit, but that she would have taken on that worm at the, at the very least taken it on. You know what I mean? Even if there was a, you know, a sort of an external force that ended up eventually killing him or there was some luck involved. I don't really care, but I wanted to see that battle. I really did. And I thought it was a missed opportunity. I don't know. I, I, you know, I watched it twice, actually. I saw it in the theater with you guys. And then I decided to watch it myself, you know, just the two episodes at home. And it really does have a very different feel. Um, I was actually surprised to see that when you watch it at home, it's letterboxed. Um, but it was, it's more than that. The absence of the audience, you know, it's a shame that they can't show this in the theater all the time because the audience just, it makes everybody just collectively react to these things these scenes and and it it adds to the the feel oh, yeah. absolutely. of, of absolutely. The, the whole thing i i really didn't notice um that i realized there was a lot of exposition but it didn't bother me at all when i was watching it in the theater because i guess because there was all this audience reaction and everybody was really engaged and it just kept you you know really watching it i didn't start to notice it until uh i was watching it at home and then there yeah, i noticed yeah this the section's a little talky. Yeah. Um, but even so, to... I didn't have really a big problem with it because they are introducing also, even for people who, who are familiar with Lord of the Rings, they're introducing a lot of new characters too. Characters yeah. who, or characters who have been uh, talked about, like, you know, in the appendices, but who we've, or, you know, and people who've mentioned as being historical figures, but who we've never actually met. And now they're, we're, we're getting to, to see them realized on screen. And that was, was interesting to me. So I, I didn't feel at any point, you know, like, can we just get on with this? I, you know, there were little moments where maybe it could have been, you know, edited a little more snappy, but I thought, or, you know, be a little less talky, but I thought overall they needed to get a lot of the exposition in. And I thought they handled it elegantly for the most part. Uh, and certainly in, in part two, when they bring in Durin and Khazad-dûm, and we get to see Khazad-dûm in all its glory. Oh, yeah, that's uh, nice. Not just yes. as this scary, haunted house, you know, place where, where everyone is terrified and, and the, the, you know, there's, there's danger lurking everywhere. But it's, it's now this, this glorious living kingdom. And that was fantastic to see. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought it was brilliantly done. It was beautiful. And I really liked the relationship between him and Elrond. I thought that was really cool. Oh, they are the they are the best. And the the prince and his and his wife, uh, the princess, is the two of them together. I could watch them bantering for the entire show. Yes, I thought it was very very sweet. I will say this: I'm very I'm glad that I'm kind of going last in the sense that I mean, Allison, I don't mean to cut you off, but I wanted to agree with you. Or I'm very much in the middle. I, I'm not saying that the exposition was too, too long. Um, I just, I thought the voiceover was too long. Um, Cause you know, you talked about this earlier, you know, show, not tell, but I get it. I mean, it is so long, you know, they were like, well, let's just tell this part, you know? So I get it. But, um, but the other thing it cannot go without saying, Allison, it really can't, uh, is that uh, however, you know, the second experience was for you for whatever reasons, right? Um, you did know what was coming. You did see it, you know what I mean? And so so for me, I actually tried to watch it again at home. I was very interested in seeing it, but I'll be honest, um, and not because the exposition was too long or this or that, I, you know, there was just a lot of the tension was gone for me, right? 
So I like that it was in letterbox. It's the only way that I think they could even a little bit even try to give you the vastness, you know, and the grandness of, of the cine, uh, the cinematography and the landscape and all of it. You know, I mean, I was not surprised at all that it was in letterbox at all. I thought, well, this is the only way we're going to be able to kind of appreciate even a teeny tiny percent of what we saw on the large screen. But I and I don't know that this is fair. I don't. But if the show was so gripping and and uh, edited and paced in a way, in a way, right, uh, that I would absolutely be like, I got to watch again at home. You know what I mean? So so it's I, I did absolutely enjoy it. And I definitely didn't really feel like, oh, this is too much. I had been a long time since I'd seen Lord of the Rings. Uh, I read the books like 25 years ago and never reread them 20, 30 years ago. I, oh my God, I'm that old. Um, 35, I don't know. So so I'm, I was fine with all the information they gave me, right? Uh, and I and I absolutely loved how uh, they emphasized she was really, uh, a, a Galadriel was a, is a flawed hero and she's obsessed, you know, and that could be a bad thing because it really made me believe, and it's going to make me believe all the choices she makes, you know what I mean? And because we are fans, we, we know what, what, what she ends up turning into, right? And she's very peaceful, right? And she's very calm and, you know, in, in, the, you know, in the Lord of the Rings. So as you guys know, I love prequels. I love seeing how things like, you know, turned out to be the way it is that we see now. Um, so I thought it was great how they absolutely showed us how physical and powerful she is. And let's be honest, selfish and obsessed you know, um, because I think that we need to see that passion, the drive. We need to see where it comes from in order for me to sort of excuse her behavior or to understand it. You know, otherwise I will be annoyed with her and I'm not, you know, I'm already on board and I understand that she's taken over her, her brother's mantle and she's processing grief and loss and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And she's dedicated to erratic. So to me, they've created a really sympathetic, ex, um, energetic, passionate, lead for me and that's super important you know and and again i think uh, uh, uh libya you made a really good point uh to be reminded right because we're so enmeshed we're, we're looking from the inside out uh, you know we want as fans right we want this other people to join us in you know in our madness so they definitely did have to walk that line of trying to get new people in to watch it uh and create a complete world you know in an episode two episodes sort of um but then also really give us the fans something to to, to enjoy. So I don't think, like I said, it's very hard for me to be objective because we did see it on a big screen. And like I said, but not just the fact that we saw it on a big screen, we saw it. So to, to, to have to watch it again, not have to, but to try to watch it again, you know, very quickly, not, you know, a few days afterwards on a smaller screen. I, the last thing I will say is I think that if it were, this is a, sort of a sort of a guess, a theory of mine, I guess. If it were so compelling and so whatever, I think I would have been able to sit down even a few days later and just be like, I need to watch this again, you know? But instead, I was sort of like, you know, I saw it on the big screen. I, I got what I wanted and, you know, and all of that. So I, I hope, honestly, uh, that uh, I won't be sort of disappointed going forward or let down simply because I saw it on a big screen and everything else will be too small for me. I, I don't think that'll be the case, but I, 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 you know, and I hope desperately that it isn't. But for people who didn't get to see it on a big screen, this is definitely something they should at least check out. I don't think it's a matter of too small. I think yeah. it's the, the, the um, experience of seeing it with a, an audience. I think that makes a big difference in in oh. terms of how whole scenes play. Um, yes. I you know the I, I want to single out the the scene where the stranger is being hauled up 
the hill in that wheelbarrow. <laughs> and it's hilarious in the, in the theater. Abs- I mean, the, the whole audience, the whole audience is laughing. Also, is rolling backward. I mean, the whole audience yeah. is just laughing like crazy. The other, the other when you, watch it, when you watch it at home, it's like, it's mildly amusing, but it's not the laugh out loud funny that it, it is in the theater. The other one was when the woman, she, she tells them that orcs are there and nobody believes her. And then she puts that, she comes in later with the head and she puts it on yes. the table. The entire like, crowd went nuts. Like the yeah. whole crowd went nuts and we all started cheering and clapping and it was, yeah. yeah and it, of course you're not going to get that in, in when you're watching it at home. Right. You're living yeah. room. Yeah. But anyway, I think overall we're still saying thumbs up. Second episode was stronger than the first. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Which yeah. is good. If it keeps going up like that, they're in good, they're in business. Yeah. So yeah. we're wrapping that up. Uh, if you guys uh, have any questions or comments, you can send them to tvcampfire.gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, on sci-fi.radio, Weenopolis, and iTunes. And we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.